Well, good morning. It's good to be back in the sanctuary, huh? So happy about air conditioning. Well, uh, today's scripture is about being on trial, which is a very timely subject, isn't it? Lots of trials going on around the nation. It's weird that we don't seem to want to talk about them, isn't it? But you know, I think it's time we did. And I know I might get in trouble for this, but I'm sick and tired of being quiet about this lawsuit surrounding the fake Basquiat artwork at the Orlando Museum of Art. I don't care who knows it. I'm against fake artwork, especially Basquiat. But seriously, today we're going to look at the second to last Markin sandwich and it is a really powerful one. Uh, If you've been in the church for more than a few years, you're probably familiar with this scripture. It's the story of when Jesus was arrested and convicted by a kangaroo court, and of his disciple Peter, who was keeping tabs on him and ended up denying that he even knew Jesus, uh, just as Jesus had said he would. Usually we read this story during Holy Week and only during Holy Week, uh, so I'm really glad we get the chance to kind of unpack it today. Uh, Not that this week isn't also holy, but during Holy Week, we don't usually unpack things and study them. So this will be edifying in a different way, I hope. Um, Because this scripture is fascinating. It's not, it's a sandwich, the the, the top piece is is a very thin piece of bread, Uh, but it's uh, more of a contrast between two different trials. One is serious, the other is imagined, but both reveal the true nature of the men on trial. So so let's uh, get into it first. Let's pray. And God, I pray that you would uh, speak to us, that you would help us to uh, hear your word and uh, find ourselves in it as we are and also see who you're calling us to be through the, the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, so uh, we, we pick up in Mark just a few verses after last Sunday's scripture, but two days later, uh, Jesus and his disciples have celebrated the Passover together, uh, which he has reinterpreted for them and all who follow them by following him uh, into what we call the Lord's Supper. Uh, So they left that upper room and went to their usual spot on the Mount of Olives where Jesus told them in Mark 14, 27, he says, and Jesus said to them, you will all become deserters for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, even though all become deserters, I will not. Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you this day, this very night before the cock crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said vehemently, even though I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all of them said the same. So then they went to a garden uh, so Jesus could pray. He begged God that what he knew was about to happen could happen some other way, but it couldn't. 
He asked his disciple to, uh, his disciples to stay awake with him, to be with him in solidarity, but they wouldn't. Then finally, the, the mob came being led by one of his own to arrest Jesus. A fight broke out. One of his disciples had a sword and cut off someone's ear. Then as quickly as it all began, the fight was over. They took Jesus into custody and all the disciples deserted Jesus and ran. Mark even tells us that one of them, not one of the 12, was grabbed by the tunic. So he wriggled out of it and ran away buck naked. Total chaos. And that's where our sandwich stories of two trials begin. That's in your bulletin. I've kind of formatted them to show, show the contrast there. But Mark writes in verse 53, They took Jesus to the high priest and all the chief priests, the elders and the scribes were assembled. It's quite a list of people, a real who's who. I don't know about you, but I get really uncomfortable in rooms like that. Uh, Meanwhile, Peter had followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he was sitting with the guards warming himself at the fire. So right off the bat, we have quite a contrast. Uh, Jesus is inside with all of Jerusalem's VIPs who want him dead. And Peter is warming himself by a fire. I'm sure that Peter is in distress, but, but his distress is inside of himself. He's in no actual danger. Peter might be warming himself by the fire, but Jesus is the one in the hot seat. Now the chief priest and the whole council were looking for testimony against Jesus to put him to death. Now the way that courts are supposed to work is that judges and juries are impartial. I wish I didn't have to explain that key bit of context, but it's important for understanding the text. The last time we saw this word translated as looking for in Mark is when Judas began to look for an opportunity to betray him. And before that, the chief priests and scribes were looking for a way to arrest Jesus by stealth and kill him. So here they are again, looking for testimony against Jesus. So they would have a legal excuse to put him to death. But they found none. You see, they were still trying to follow the letter of the law about testimony in court. While ignoring the many, many laments in the Bible about accusing an innocent person without cause. Here is how Mark describes the testimony against Jesus. It says, for many gave false testimony against him and their testimony did not agree. Some stood up and gave false testimony about him saying, we heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands. And in three days, I will build another not made with hands. But even on this point, their testimony did not agree. You remember that from earlier in Mark, right? Uh, Jesus did say the temple would be destroyed, but he didn't say he was going to do it. The high priest is coming up empty on every front. So he does what, what cops and lawyers still find is the best strategy. Then the high priest stood up before them and asked Jesus, have you no answer? What is it that they testify against you? He wants Jesus to testify against himself. 
on their behalf. You know, he wants Jesus to sort out all the conflicting testimony and, and tell the court that wants him dead how best to do it. But he was silent and did not answer. Which not only fleshed out important scriptures from the Bible, uh, it's also just good sense. So often the smartest thing to say is nothing. It's not just a better to keep silent and be thought a fool than open your mouth and remove all doubt situation either. It's just that, it's just that some lies don't warrant refuting. When one side doesn't actually care what the truth is, what's the point in trying to prove them wrong? If you do, they'll just shrug and bring up some new point they don't actually believe, but rather hope they can get away with. They don't care about truth. They just want to have their own way. So Jesus was silent until he was asked a question that his integrity and purpose for living demanded that he answer, no matter the consequences. Again, the high priest asked him, are you the Messiah, the son of the blessed one? And Jesus said, I am. Now, you might remember that I am is the meaning of the name of for God. Uh, a name that, that they believed was so holy that no one could utter it. And they did such a great job not saying God's name that we're not sure how it's meant to be pronounced still. But it's the name that God revealed to, to Moses. God told Moses, tell them I am has sent you. To say the name in that context was to be guilty of blasphemy. And the penalty is death by stoning. Notice here in, in this uh, uh, verse that the high priest refers to God as the blessed one, not God. In fact, even today, our Jewish brothers and sisters often refer to God as Hashem, which means the name. So why does all that matter? Well, well, in two verses, the high priest is going to find Jesus guilty of blasphemy, of saying the name. Well, not the name, but saying the actual name that the name refers to. Why am I not saying it? We don't think it's blasphemy. Yahweh. He's confirming saying Yahweh. But, but Jesus didn't even come close to saying it either. So Jesus said, I am. And you will see the son of man seated at the right hand of the power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Jesus refers to God here as the power, another non-name name for God that respects the Jewish beliefs about God's name being unutterable. He also conflates Psalm 110 verse 1 and Daniel 7, 13 and 14 into his answer about who he is and what he's come to do. And then the high priest tore his clothes and said, why do we still need witnesses? You have heard his blasphemy. But he hadn't. No one had, not with his words, 
at least. But I wonder, and maybe this is just me and my imagination, I, I wonder if the high priest had some gut feeling, some sense that Jesus really was who he said he was. The reason we translate his last question in verse 61 as a question is because of the, the context. But what he really literally says is, you are the Messiah, the son of the blessed one. The only other person who has said that about Jesus was Peter. Who was outside in the courtyard as they speak. Peter said it as a, a realization, an act of worship. I don't think the high priest is saying it that way, but I wonder if on some level he knows it's true. Which makes him that much more of a villain, if I'm right. But a villain, a villain we're familiar with. A, a villain who is willing to kill God for the sake of their religion. A villain ready to rip out pages of their Bible that might get in the way of their power. So he said, you have heard this blasphemy. What is your decision? And now the, the lesser villains have to make up their minds. Do they trust their own eyes and ears and say that they didn't actually hear this man commit blasphemy or do they trust the leader they've decided is the one who knows best. And all of them condemned him as deserving death. Some began to spit on him, to blindfold him and to strike him saying to him, prophesy. The guards also took him over and beat him. So Jesus answered truthfully in his trial about who he was and what God had sent him to do. And because of his truthful witness, his suffering began. And, and he knows, and so do we, how it will end. These indignities, just the ones mentioned here, would traumatize any one of us. But Jesus suffers them patiently because of his faith in God. The most poignant abuse, though, uh, is that single word, prophesy. Because he already had. About this very moment and the many to come, he even prophesied about what is happening in the courtyard just outside the door. You see, there are two trials tonight. The other is Peter's. Jesus' trial was presided over by Jerusalem's highest echelon. Peter is going to be tried by people he doesn't even know. People who no one really knows or fears or even really cares about. That's outside of their own families, you know, we hope. So let's look at that. It says, while Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came by. When she saw Peter warming himself, she stared at him and said, you also were with Jesus, the man from Nazareth. 
Not really a question, more of an observation. Unlike the men surrounding the high priest, this girl trusts her own eyes. And unlike the witnesses that the kangaroo court dragged in, this girl's statement is crisp and accurate. But you know what it isn't? It isn't a threat. This young girl has no power over Peter. She can't arrest him. She can't even get the guards to arrest him. Peter could have just been silent like Jesus was, or he could have told the truth. But he denied it, saying, I do not know or understand what you are talking about. His denial was a lie, but his words were the truth. Still, kind of, even if he didn't mean for them to be. I do not know or understand what you're talking about. He should have known. He had no good excuse not to know. But he was so afraid that he became unintelligible. Jesus was actually being threatened, but Peter saw threats where none existed. Jesus is asked false questions. And then he was asked to interpret them on behalf of his accusers. And he kept his composure and his silence. Peter was asked a clear and honest question. And he stopped making sense to himself and to anyone else. Jesus held his ground. But as for Peter... He went out into the forecourt. Peter retreated. And then the cock crowed. And the servant girl, on seeing him, began again to say to the bystanders, this man is one of them. But again, he denied it. Then after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. You know, he had an accent, but he began to curse. Jesus was falsely charged with cursing God. Remember with using God's name shamefully. Peter does curse and he swore an oath. Not just a, any kind of oath, but, but called down that this oath from heaven. And then Peter told another lie that was also the truth. I do not know this man you are talking about. Because of course he did. That's why he's so upset. He spent the last three years of his life with this man who changed his life. And now he's afraid that he will be harmed because of him. So he's denying that he knows him. It's the lie, but also it's the truth, isn't it? He doesn't know this man, Jesus, that they're talking about. He knew the version of Jesus that he wanted to know. And he actively ignored his teachings that he didn't like or wasn't comfortable with. 
Jesus told him time and time again about his impending arrest and crucifixion, but Peter didn't listen or believe him. He he even told him about the very moment he found himself in right here in this scripture. But it wasn't until it was too late that Peter believed Jesus's words over his own feelings. And at that moment, the cock crowed for the second time. Then Peter remembered that Jesus had said to him, before the cock crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. We're not that different from Peter, are we? We'll never get the opportunity to deny Jesus in the same way that he did. But sometimes we also deny Jesus in three pretty big ways. The first way is that we deny that he is the teacher. Jesus gave us some pretty straightforward teachings. Love your neighbor. Forgive. Show kindness to the least of these. But how often own desires take the driver's seat and deny what Jesus taught us? How often do we only listen to Jesus when he agrees with us. You see, we don't just deny certain of Jesus's teachings, though we do that too. We deny that he is our teacher. We deny his teachings, the place of priority in our lives. The second way we deny Jesus is when we forget his sacrifice. Sometimes we we unintentionally water down the incredible significance of Jesus's sacrifice. When we try to kind of brush off our own wrongdoings and say, it's not really a big deal. It's just a little mistake. But the truth is that Jesus suffered for our sins because they are a big deal. When we downplay sin, we're missing the point. Sin isn't just some minor slip up. It's our real nature showing through. Those real selves don't just need a pat on the back. We need a new nature. And that's only found when we face our mess ups head on and see them for what they truly are as sin and seek forgiveness and change through Jesus. Don't deny it. Embrace it. And thank God and not your own goodness. 
And the third way we deny Jesus like Peter did is when we deny his call to follow him. You know, Jesus didn't just say, hey, believe in me. He said, follow me. But often we'd rather stay in our you know, cozy comfort zones and avoid stepping out in faith. Or chase after shiny things instead of after him. That's denying his call to follow. And it leads us away from our true purpose and the life that he offers. But here's the good news. Just like Peter, we can find hope and forgiveness and a fresh start. I mean, Peter's story didn't end in denial. It was the beginning of a redemption story. He went from being the denier that we witnessed today to being a key leader in the early church. It's proof that Jesus's grace is big enough to transform us. No matter how many times we've messed up. So don't lose heart. Peter's journey shows us that our denials don't have to define us. And they sure don't disqualify us. They can just be bumps on the road. We can turn to Jesus, the one who forgives, restores, and empowers us to live a new life. Because of Jesus, there's always hope. There's always redemption and the strength to bounce back from our denials, just like Peter did. We can become bold witnesses of God's love and truth. Remember this, our denials aren't the end of our story. They're opportunities for a fresh start. In Jesus, there's always hope. And his grace is more than enough to take us from denial to discipleship. From weakness to strength. From doubt to faith. Because it's not about us. It's always and only about Jesus. Who never denied Peter. And will never deny you. Let's pray. God, thank you for being with us in our trials, for never denying us, even though we've all denied you. Help us, God, to live in a new faith, a new witness. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.